0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City
1: Church, please visit scmoline.com. Every once in a while, I get the opportunity to have uh, just a week off from preaching. Uh, This happens to be one of those weeks. Nick, would you come up? Um, I want to introduce to you my friend that we go way back, actually, uh, Nick Powell, Uh, Nick used to be in a hardcore band that would practice in the basement of the house that I lived in in college. Um, So we've had lots of interactions together. Uh, Nick is currently, uh, whoop, you just lost your microphone there. Uh, Nick is currently the worship leader at at a church plant in Des Moines who's pastored by one of my other friends from college uh, called Frontier Church three-year-old church plant. Uh, Nick serves there every week leading music uh, and and other very aspects of their uh, Sunday gatherings. Um, Now, Nick is here to preach on church planting today because he just started a church planting residency. Uh, And I didn't say this already, but Nick is actually from this area. Clinton grew up. Clinton, so it's great to have him back on this side of the state. Um, But Nick just started a church planting residency at Frontier Church, and, and he's testing God's calling in his life to... You know, maybe he's going to plant a church, and so uh, we're excited to have him here today to preach on something that we believe is a central uh, piece of being a church for the city. uh, But something that he's specifically passionate about in helping the church uh, be captured uh, and enthralled by the idea of being a church planting church. And now, you know, as as a church that's about two and a half years old, two years old, two and a half years old, uh, the church planting it's hard. Um, It it takes a lot of energy. Takes a lot of, of time. It takes takes a lot out of us. Um, But I hope that uh, as we hear from Nick today, it's all worth it, that God's using our our efforts here. God's expanding his kingdom. Nothing is wasted uh, in the name of Jesus. And so uh, I want to pray for Nick, and I'll just turn it over. Uh, Father, we we thank you this morning uh, that your word can stand on its own. Uh, that you don't need us to defend it. You don't need us to uh, validate it. It is, it is what it is because it comes from your mouth. And we are putting our full confidence and trust in your word this morning. I pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears to see and to hear you. That our hearts would be soft to receive uh, your mercy and, and truth. And I pray, Father, that you would anoint Nick and that his his words would uh, be used in a way that, that motivates our hearts, that stirs our hearts with affections for you and motivates us for the mission that you've called us to as your church. God, I ask that you would give him full confidence this morning, not his own abilities, but in the, in the word of God. And I pray that you would uh, use this time now to bless this church. We ask this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. So like Sam said, uh, my name is Nick Powell. And uh, let... This is awesome. Uh, The singing was great. Thanks for that. Uh, I enjoyed singing with you guys. And this church, I just want to point out that this church is a testimony to God's desire to be a God who blesses. Uh, And and his, his design is not that we hoard resources and people and energy and vitality, but that we go and we bless. And this church is such a testimony to that because... Um, I knew sam in college at UNI, and that was a huge time in my life going to the University of Northern Iowa, um, becoming a Christian there, being excited about Jesus, excited about following Jesus um, and and experiencing really life in the church for a first for my the first time in my life, probably is the spirit really awoke in me um, new eyes to see that god 's church is a beautiful thing, and um, there 's probably a uh, decent handful of folks that have gone on to plant churches, serve at different churches, whether it's music or preaching, um, just being excited about following Jesus. And this is one of those churches is an example of God sending out and blessing, uh, through, uh, folks following Jesus. So again, this is awesome to see Sam and Becca and just what God's doing through sacred city. It's been great. Um, and before I get started, uh, I'd love to pray again. Uh, So will you join me in that? Uh, Heavenly Father, church, I don't know where everyone is in this room with church in general. Um, I don't know where everyone is in this room with following Jesus, but I know that it can be really hard. I know that church can be a grind. Um, This can be... Sometimes this can feel stale and and that there is no energy or vitality, Lord, but I know that you have given us um, your spirit and that you've confirmed in us that there is life in following Jesus. And so I pray that you would remind us of that this morning and remind us that even when life is difficult and hard, that you are there and you are with us. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be specifically and particularly um, with us this morning. So pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a poor man walked into a church one Sunday morning. He's disheveled. He's dirty, maybe a little smelly. Maybe he doesn't have a house. Maybe he lives out of his car. And a deacon sees him in the church, and he runs right towards him. And he says, he's concerned about the church's image, and he says, "Uh, Son, can I help you with anything here? And the guy says, Yeah, I was... um, I was praying, and God told me to come to this church. And the deacon was very surprised by that response. And he he says, uh, well, why don't you go home and uh, next Sunday? We'll see what God tells you then. And uh, so he goes home, and he prays. And he comes back to the church, and the same deacon runs up to him, and he says, uh, did God tell you anything different? And uh, the guy says, yeah, I, uh, I, I prayed, and, and I said, God... These these guys don't want me in this church. And uh, God says, that's okay, son. I've been trying to get into that church for years and haven't made it yet. So that's a little little tongue-in-cheek, but um, I think it illustrates a caricature of how I think a lot of folks in our culture, maybe even folks in this room, can see church. Um, A lot of folks have a hard time with church, just to put it bluntly. And I think because church to a lot of people appears to be a place of maybe it's just a self-righteous holy huddle. Uh, maybe it's a cult of personality. Maybe it is a place where people don't seem real. Or maybe it's just a place where people get hurt. That's their experience. I've talked to a lot of folks that church has just been a, it's been a pattern of hurt and pain in their relational life. And so if church is so hard, then why would we plant more of them? I think that's a that's a good question to start with. If church is so darn difficult, why would we start and plant more churches? And some churches actually seem to propagate more problems than solutions. Instead of propagating new churches or new ways of life, we propagate a lot of problems. And so if we're honest with ourselves, I think we should confront these problems if we're going to think about church planting. If we're going to get our heads straight about What church planting is and why we should be excited about it. I think we should confront the problems inherent in it head on. And church statistics are just not that uh, encouraging either. I don't know if any of you are tuned into any blogs or the internet in general. But church statistics and things are not exciting. Uh, Less than 20% of Americans attend church regularly. Church attendance is steadily declining. Church attendance isn't even outpacing population growth. You've heard these things. Mid sized churches, 100 to 300 people, are getting smaller, while huge mega churches are getting bigger and bigger. And what I'm really saying is that um, I, <laughs> I just want to validate what you already know is that church is incredibly difficult. Church is a grind sometimes, and the landscape seems pretty bleak. But chur- is church more than this? That's a good question to ask. Is church more than what we see on the surface? I think there's something more fundamental to church and our experience in church than oftentimes what's in the forefront of our minds. Um, and so I want to I hold in front of us what I think God holds in front of us as the main thing. But I don't know where you th- what, what you think the main thing is with church. Is it uh, a s- center for social justice? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a charity group? Is it a therapy group? Is it a place that you can find friends or maybe a wife or maybe some self esteem? What is the church at its core? That's extremely important to get our heads straight on. And the reason I ask this is that when we think about church planting, I'm concerned that we mostly think about organization planting. Mostly think about organization planting, or brand planting, or what's even worse, idea planting. This can be deeply discouraging to a lot of folks, because I don't think it's actually at the heart of church planting. And oftentimes we think about really abstract stuff when we think about planting churches. Um, I heard the other day that there's actually a thing called virtual reality church. I don't know if anybody's seen that. Um, virtual reality, for those of you who don't know, is like you can put a headset on. And uh, you can plug into, if you've got an internet connection and a headset, you can plug into um, fantasy worlds. Uh, and you can actually get together with folks who want to do church at, like, at a, on top of a skyscraper or uh, in a jungle or in Antarctica or on Mars or something. And uh, you can listen to a, a person teach about something, you know, sitting on the moon in your virtual reality headset. And some folks treat that as church. And I don't think I need to convince you that that's extremely abstract. And weird. And so, but I think to a lesser degree, some of us treat church as sort of abstract like that. We think of slogans and doctrines and websites. We think of pastors as social media influencers. Content creators. Is church more than an idea? So for a moment, can you throw everything out? Throw all of that stuff out. And at its core... Church is a community. The picture of church that we get in the New Testament particularly is a community of faith following the way of Jesus. The church is not an idea, it's a people and a lifestyle. So to get our heads around church planting and be encouraged by it and be strengthened for it, we need to remember, I think it's just some basic Jesus following. Jesus says he's the way, the truth and the life. And if you follow Jesus, he's called you to a distinct way of life, to a, a distinct lifestyle. Um, you could say vocation he's called you to a vocation and um, jesus he, he one of the phrases he attaches to that is being a fisher of men that to be a lifestyle Christian is to be a fisher of men and so Um, In the context of this lifestyle, we go and we plant churches. So what we see in the Bible, in Scripture, is that church planting emerges out of being a Christian. Church planting emerges out of being a lifestyle Christian, having purpose, and having a vocation of following Jesus. And so in John's prologue, in chapter 1 of his gospel, it centers us on the main thing. It's a good reminder John tells us that Jesus, he's the source of life and of light. And in the dark places of our world and in our city, the light needs to shine, right? I mean, that, um, he, the video we just watched, he said that. He literally said, um, Detroit's a dark place. And uh, Moline is not any different fundamentally from Detroit. It's a dark place needing the light and life of Jesus, And so John writes that Jesus' light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's extremely good news to folks that live in the midst of darkness. And as followers of Jesus, right, we're supposed to go and we're telling folks of that good news. We're to be tellers of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to labor, as John the Baptist did in John's prologue. We're to labor as John the Baptist did, shining the light of Jesus to the dark world. And it is the church that takes the light of Jesus to the dark places. And uh, there's this great scene in the movie The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings. If you haven't, I'm not mad, I'm just a little disappointed. Um, in Lord of the Rings and Return of the King, there's this cool scene where um, you don't need to know anything about the plot. It, there's, there's, a, there's these people called hobbits, and they're really small, they're really weak, and they're a little bit silly. And uh, there's uh, this hobbit named Pippin, which just perfectly sums up his personality. And uh, it's the army of evil Mordor is bearing down on the fellowship, and uh, they have to light this big beacon... They're they're in this place where there's this tower where there's a huge stack of wood, like one of those big bonfires that you see um, people have in the country. Folks that have land, they can put pallets and pallets and pallets and pallets. And he runs up there and he stumbles around and he lights that thing on fire and it just it just goes high, huge. And then you get this panoramic shot of the mountains and its little blip of light, little blip of light little blip of light, all the way down signaling to this other kingdom that they need help. And so, like that, the church is to be torchbearers, shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark world. And there's this great line that Gandalf has, he's a, he's a wizard in, in the movie. <laughs> I know it's a, little, it's a little nerdy, but he has this great line where he says, Hope is kindled. Hope is kindled. And that sums up for me, um, when I read John 1, I'm like, man, there's hope here. Hope is kindled. And so that's what the church is to do. The church is first and foremost the people who bear the torch of hope to the dark and lost world. We're a people that kindle the light of hope in the darkness, and this light is Jesus. So the church points people to the hope of Jesus, and as John put it, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So you might be thinking, that's great. That's awesome. I'm on board with that. Um, Let's do it. Let's go out. Let's share the gospel. Let's plant churches. Let's renew the city. But then you might look at your life and your family, maybe even this church, and the old familiar doubt creeps in, and you feel inadequate for the task. You're like, that's a tall order. I don't think I can do that. I'm not able to do what's necessary. And I just want to confirm in you that that's true. You're not able to do that. You're not able to just go out there with a huge flaming torch and go into every little place that's got darkness and say, come to Jesus. It's hard. Doing church and doing life and following Jesus is hard. And if you ever looked at your family and your church and you said, we're not rich enough, we don't have a lot of slick programs, what do we really have to offer the city? As we seek to plant churches and be torch bearers, I think we should pause and take a look at our ambition. There's this pastor and this writer, his name's Zach Eswine, and he helpfully puts it this way. He says, You will be tempted to orient your desires toward doing large things in famous ways as fast and as efficiently as you can. But take note. A crossroads waits for you. Jesus is that crossroads. Almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things for a long period of time with Him. So like marriage making or um, finding a career, raising kids, I mean, this is a perfect Sunday to see this example. Um, I love that you chose the grace upon grace, uh, that section of John, because... You're really standing before folks, and you're saying, "Help me in this impossible task of raising kids to know Jesus." And and parents, or anyone who's engaged in any hard work at all, anything worth doing, knows that there's no shortcuts. There are rarely easy answers. It's the kind of work that um, people probably won't even notice that you're doing, or even notice that you're doing well. Um, it's not that church planting is not the kind of work that you can lay on a table, like that table, and just and just put it out there for people to see. Oh, come look at my church plan. Come look at the great work that I'm doing in my neighborhood. It's not given to that kind of examination. Or it's, it's really not, you're not able to frame it on a white background in a nice neat square and take an Instagram picture of it and get a ton of likes. It's really difficult to see the fruits of our work. Um, it's like the other day, I saw this meme. I don't know if you guys look at memes at all. Sometimes they're really funny. I saw this meme of Homer Simpson. He just got done reading the Bible. And he says, uh, it's a picture of him. And he says, I just read this whole thing, and everyone in this book is a mess except this one guy. And I just think that's good theology. I think that's good theology right out of Homer Simpson's mouth. We are all a mess, like a real serious, hot mess. And we're inadequate. And under our own power, we couldn't even make a dent in the city. We couldn't even make a dent in our own homes, let alone this nation and this city. But God has a long and storied history of using messy, weak, and inadequate people to do great things. So why does the city need another church to do his work? Why not just help the existing churches? I think that's it. That's a huge question that almost always comes up in any conversation I've ever had with somebody about church planting. Why do we need another church? Aren't churches dying left and right? Aren't churches languishing? And I think at the heart of that question is a little bit of fear where we're thinking, how are these churches going to survive? How is the church going to survive? How's my grandma's church going to survive if we start? New churches, and as tenderly as I can, I just I want to absolutely reject that idea. That's a that is a fallacy of church planting. It's rooted in fear, and I think it's rooted in an inappropriate understanding of church as business, church as Amazon or Walmart. It's like it's like saying I don't want to have kids because look at these other families over here with their they're having a hard time. Why should we have kids? I mean, aren't we going to put these kids out of this family out of business? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. You want to have healthy kids, healthy families, and you also want to multiply healthy kids and healthy families. Like, we need both. And so I think the scriptures testifies to let's recenter ourselves. Don't think of churches as Walmart coming in and throwing its weight around, destroying all the mom and pa stuff. The problem also lies in not having an appropriate vision between the relationship between care and flourishing care and flourishing and i think if we took the word plant seriously church plants and what that word implies we would be a little more on the right track uh, plant impl- implies living thing living being living organism um, and for those of you that maybe garden or do something with like green things and dirt and stuff you understand you understand that to have plants means you need to care for those plants. And if you have different types of plants, those different types of plants require different amounts of care. So certain plants need a certain amount of sun. Certain plants need a certain amount of water. Certain plants need a certain amount of soil, the soil conditions. I'm, I'm not a gardener, so I don't necessarily know what that would look like, but so I'm told. So the conditions matter for those plants to flourish. And so this means that you need to know your plants. You need to know the living things that are in your care, and you need to be attentive to their needs. You need to be physically able to care for those plants. So there's a real relationship, too, between the amount of plants that you have and your ability to care for them. So simply put, um, when you, what I'm illustrating here is that when you care for something, you must be able to give it your attention, your presence. You must be able to give It's your presence. And the same goes for the church. Um, A pastor I really admire, he observes this in pastoral ministry, and he says that pastoral ministry is mainly a ministry of presence. Mainly a ministry of presence. And I think this gets to the heart of following Jesus. To follow Jesus, you must be present with him, right? Because he is present with us. And since you have the Spirit, you are people that show the presence of God to others, You bring the presence of God. God uses real flesh and blood to bear witness to the light and life of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, what you really have to offer each other in this city is your careful, attentive presence. This points people to the presence of God. It's like in um, 1 Peter. Peter describes our life as followers of Jesus, as a vocation, of mediating God's presence, basically. We're priests, and that's what priests did in the Old Testament. They mediated the presence of God with the people, and we all have access to that. If you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, you have the presence of God in you, and you take the presence of God everywhere you go, and that's meaningful, too often we embark on the task of church planting like a, like a conquering entrepreneur. We just dynamite our way into the market share by any means necessary. And too often we judge the battle won when we simple, simply have people's attention. Just the attention. Too many people think that social media attention and church attendance, and I am put myself in this category, so often I think that if we have their attention and we have people in the seats, then we have a healthy, flourishing church. Attention and presence are not the same thing. They may go together, but they are not exactly the same thing. There are people withering and languishing in the city. In this city right here, in Moline, Iowa, there's people languishing and separated from the life and the presence of Christ. They don't even see Jesus. They don't. They don't even see Jesus. If the lost in the city were plants, if they were living things as they are, they are separated, and they need people to bring them the presence of God. We, there are too many... Here's the thing. There are too many folks that don't know the love of Christ, that don't know the healing and the life-giving power of the Spirit of God. There are too many plants in this city, so to speak, For every single church in America, every single person in this church here to properly care for. This is why we need, this is like base level why we need more churches. We don't necessarily need more Instagram accounts, but we we definitely need more human beings mediating the presence of God. Bringing the careful presence and life and vitality to folks all over the city. And so (laughs) the task is urgent and it's desperate and it's impossible. It's flat out impossible. We cannot, in this crew of folks, we do not have enough folks bringing the light and life of Jesus to our neighborhoods. And this is where John 14 is particularly helpful. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or as the message paraphrase puts it, uh, The Word became flesh And blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So, this is God's church planting strategy. I think that that's a basic reading of this in this context. That's God's church planting strategy. God's goal is to provide us with His care and His attention, and He did this by giving us His presence. And as Jesus' followers, we live by His example. We go and we give and show the presence of God. So this the, the theological term for this is incarnation. Um, we incarnate into our neighborhoods. We, the implication is that we go into every nook and cranny of our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and we show people Jesus. Incarnational church planting, it also moves, I think, towards... Um, it takes movements and steps, though it might be baby steps towards the fulfillment of our, of our basic Lord's Prayer, you know, um, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that in, um, in Revelation, so if you flip all the way to the end of your scriptures, to Revelation, when we see history come to an end, at least history in this the present reality, we see that what Jesus is enthroned and all around Jesus in Revelation 7 are many different types, shapes, sizes, colors of people all gathered around the throne. And how is this going to happen? Like, it's a good question. Like, ask that. Like, if we are so focused on accomplishing the mission of God because we think it brings life, how are different people from us supposed to gather around Jesus to worship Him and experience that life? we gotta, we got to be present with those people we got to be present with people who are different, people who are like us, people who are in our neighborhoods. Every nook and cranny of the city needs to see and experience the presence of God. But this isn't, it's it's just not fast work. It's not famous work. It doesn't happen overnight. The work of careful presence, it takes time to show the fruit. The work of church planting, it's like any good work. It's not really answerable to haste. You're not just going to be able to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and have a hot week of motivation and then be done. It's just not going to work like that. So there's a bit of a paradox here that we are to be, hurry up and be patient. We have to hurry up and be patient. So the writer um, and pastor Eugene Peterson, I just think he's helpful here when he says, uh, The person who looks for quick results in the seed planting of well-doing will be disappointed. If I want potatoes for dinner tomorrow... This is ridiculous. If I want potatoes for dinner tomorrow, it will do me little good to go out and plant a potato garden tonight. There are long stretches of darkness and invisibility and silence that separate planting and reaping. During the stretches of waiting, there is cultivating, weeding, and nurturing, and planting still other seeds. So I I really don't know where you're at this morning. Um... I I don't. I don't know what stage you are at in this journey of following Jesus and seeking to plant seeds and show others this life. If you're in this sort of starry-eyed romanticism of church planting and you want to embark on that journey, you want to do it, you're sold out, that's awesome. Or if you've been laboring for a long time, plowing and working, and it's a grind. Or some of you are seeing your plants bear a little bit of fruit. You're, You're starting to see some things blossom. I just want to join you and I want to validate in you that this is hard work. It is hard work. But the hope is, is that your labor is not in vain, right? It's not in vain. Jesus' great work was difficult for him too. There's a reason that John opens up his gospel with ultimate reality. You know, Jesus being this just jaw-dropping, the the logos, you know, the word. And then he says, it became flesh. You're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus became flesh. This was extremely difficult for Jesus, right? You see the rest of the narrative of, this, of the Gospels, the rest of Jesus' story as we see it in Scripture, is that it becomes increasingly hard for Jesus. As He's walking toward the cross, we see that He is God, and that we see that He is life, and that He cares for these disciples. But it gets incredibly difficult for Christ. And so I think as followers of Jesus, that's like base expectation is that we should expect things to be difficult. Jesus says that you must take up your cross, but that you may have life. There is life here. Because life's hard anyway. I mean, you have, <laughs> you have questions about everything in your life, right? You go to work and... And you're like, man, I just don't think my job matters. Or, you know, you're getting older and you're like, I don't know that my kids care that I'm getting older. Or uh, there's all sorts of things in our life that we've got big problems and big questions. And so walking with Jesus is hard, but it's the only thing that hardness leads to life. The difficulty and the cross-bearing of, of walking with Jesus leads to eternal life. There's no other problem in your life that leads to eternal life. If your job stinks, it just stinks apart from Christ, right? If you don't know Jesus, there's no meaning in that. But in Jesus, there's meaning in that. And so, if you're all in, and you see church planting as the way of Jesus, you see it as your torch-bearing responsibility. Maybe you've oriented your whole life. Maybe you've moved to Moline, or maybe you've started a church. And uh, this is something that you're totally bought into. But one question looms over your head. How will our community survive if we keep sending out our best? If we keep encouraging people to leave and plant new communities in new churches? And as you look at the depressing landscape of of the American church or the church in the West, your temptation is going to be as a doomsday prepper um, to hoard resources, right? You're going to want to buy a big deep freeze, and you're going to want to put a bunch of stuff in there. And I'm not saying that that's not a good idea. I'm, you know, we may not have... You know, The economy might crash. I don't know. But that's not the point. The point is that we're not like that in the church where we're worried. And where we have to hoard everything and keep things too close to the chest. Because what that demonstrates is that you think more in terms of how this world runs. And the way the world runs with the marketplace and supply and demand. And you're not as attuned to God's kingdom. Because there is a different logic in God's kingdom. It's a, it's a sort of upside-down logic. It, it doesn't make sense. Why, why, would we, why would we be blessed to give rather than to receive, right? Why would that fill us to give? And so it's Jesus who demonstrates this. It's Jesus who demonstrates that it is more blessed and more life-giving to give than rather to receive. And so the source of our strength in the impossible task of church planting is grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The grace of God is our fuel. It's the fuel for church planting. And this is how this is an impossible task can be made possible in God's kingdom. This is what we see in John one sixteen. It's at the heart of being a redeemed human being that though we are weak and incapable, he is strong and capable giving us what we don't deserve. So our strength is grace. Our energy and vitality comes from the resurrection spirit of God. We've already confessed this today, this morning. That we have the light. I think we sang it. The words of our songs have been so in tune with this. That because we have the spirit of God in us, we are raised to new life. And that doesn't just apply to some sort of abstract theology of salvation where we're going to be sucked into some sort of ethereal, disembodied heaven someday. But you have the resurrection spirit of God right now. Right this very moment. And that empowers you to be obedient to the task of church planting. That empowers you to to share the gospel with your coworkers and not see that as a net loss, but as a net gain. And so because we have that, we thrive on grace. So what what I'm just encouraging you this morning is to press into that. To press into the grace of God, into the presence of God, and know that that is your source of fuel and energy and that is how you can survive in this church plant. Maybe you committed to this. You're, you're here. You're not necessarily going to be the one who goes somewhere else. You've settled here. But this is still a church plant. And it's still hard. And God has grace for you. And he has resurrection life for you this morning. And all the days that God chooses to call you to serve this place. And to serve Moline. This is how you have energy to, to propagate and start new churches. Because we thrive on grace, I'm struck with this is this is what I'll end with. I'm I'm struck with when I read the scriptures over and over again. I'm struck with the simplicity of what God calls faith. Um, there's there's that. Remember the story where uh, Jesus is teaching in a house, and and these guys bring their um, crippled friend in, and they cut the hole in the ceiling, and. Uh, And they lower him in because they're desperate to get some healing for their friend. And Jesus looks up at them, carving a hole into this house, and he's like, Your faith has made you well. He comments on that and says, That's faith. As far as we know, these guys didn't say anything, they just cut a hole in the roof. Why is that faith then blessed and rewarded by Jesus? Because it's an action of obedience. It's very simple. The fact that this church exists is an example of taking a step in obedience following Jesus. And God promises to backfill that with his grace, with his energy, and with his love, and with his presence. And so it doesn't seem logical. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem logical to go plant more churches when there's obviously things wrong with the old building, right? God, it'd be nice if we had 50 more people at this church so that we could pay for a new roof. You know, things like that. But you can't let that consume you. I I mean, you'd be consumed by that stuff because there's never, ever going to be enough of those material things to satisfy you. It's God's grace and God's love and presence that gives you vitality to illogically say, we're going to go do more of this. We're going to start more churches that have a hard time Keeping up with cleaning the bathrooms. So I know it's hard, but following Jesus is hard. And yet Jesus promises that there is life, that his way is life. And so we go in church planting as he came, incarnating into the darkness, bearing the torch of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And just as it was for Jesus, it's really hard work, but it is joyful work. And it is worth it. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm struck with how often I'm I'm searching for brand new information or brand new nuggets. I'm struck with it seems like I'm going to you for five life hacks or tips that will make my following you in this lifestyle easier. There are no hacks for church planting, I'm convinced, God. And so would you fuel us with your grace and give us more of yourself and your energy as you call us towards this impossible task of church planting. But we know that is worth it, Lord. And so I pray that we would press in to your presence and that we would be energized and motivated towards the task of church planting. I pray this in Jesus' name.